0: Thank you, Aaron. Appreciate filling in this morning. We're all adjusting and shuffling, What we normally do. We're figuring it out as we go, sometimes. Out is not bad. So, if you have your bulletin, um, you may have noticed the title of the message today is. You are of your father, the devil. And it didn't occur to me because it's actually a quote from Jesus. And I was trying to figure out um, as we as we move forward in John eight to the text we're at. Uh, John eight beginning verse thirty seven this morning. And uh, as, as I was trying to think of a title, Dad was was pulling bullets together, and he's like, "Hey, no pressure, but we need a title, right?" And so I was thinking about it, and then uh, I was I kept coming back to mind, because that's such a a powerful statement Jesus makes in this section. And so I gave it to him and I put it on the notes. And then uh, as he was pulling the bullets together, it dawned on to me, today's Father's Day. <laughs> so a little irony there uh, about that. It wasn't intentional, but it is where we are in the text. And so that's uh, what we're doing. And so I have some notes here. Uh, and uh, let me hand these out. Maybe Aaron, grab one for yourself and hand them out. Great. I think we have some other folks maybe coming back here. So if you need those, more, we can print some more. Those of you online will be posted momentarily. Yeah, no problem. Dad has his own. I printed him up one this morning. So even though he's online, he have Yeah. All right, so let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll get into our study this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can call you that. In fact, it's not something we made up, but it's something that you invite us to call you, our Heavenly Father. And it's an amazing thought that you would, um, of, of all the relationships or all the titles that you could pick, for us to call you, you chose this one. And um, certainly there are other titles that are appropriate, but this one most frequently, uh, particularly in this gospel, we see Jesus over and over again referring to you in this way. And uh, and then he leaves an example for us and teaches his disciples and us to pray uh, directly to you with this title. And we, um, as we look at this, it's sobering to think that... Um, there is another imposter that we call Satan or the devil who wants to take that place in our lives, who wants to be the one that, that uh, eclipses your glory and pulls the focus away from you uh, to other things, uh, particularly uh, maybe to himself, but even if it's not to himself, at least to get our eyes off of, off of you and off of the Savior and um, it's kind of a sobering text here. It's a, it's a hard punchline that uh, that the Lord Jesus gives to these religious leaders. And it's also can be a warning to us. And so I pray that as we unpack these things or we start to unpack it this morning and maybe continue next week probably, um, that we would be very much aware of how easily we can be deceived into, into thinking that we have you as our spiritual father when, in fact, it is the enemy of our souls uh, who is deceiving us. And so help us to to see this, this profound truth and this warning that Jesus gives here. Bless um, this time together today and, and uh, this week and pray this in Jesus' name. If you were to... Um, there's, there's a lot of people that don't even believe in a devil, don't believe in, in Satan. Um, but uh, I imagine that all of us do. Maybe if you don't, at least you're familiar with the concept and, and whatever. And uh, if, I was going to ask you if, if we could could uh, peel back the physical layer and you could see into the spiritual world, where do you think you're most likely to see the devil on a regular basis? Um you don't have to answer that, but just think about it for a second. Where would you think you see him? Where would you? Where do you think uh, the devil? Uh, the scripture, just in passing, gives us little hints that there's um, that there's a, a hierarchy there as well. So he has, you might think of it as an army. He has his top uh, uh, generals, right, and his majors and lieutenants and, uh, on down. Uh, where would you see them as commissioned by him? I probably like most people, maybe if you, if you don't even think about it, you know, maybe you would think the devil's persecuting you, of would say oh, that devil maybe do it. Um, chances are probably not. Okay. There's a whole lot going on and you and I are very, very small. Um, he probably has. Certainly, we get rid VBS and we sense that every year there's some kind of vector of attack, it seems like, you know, that, that, uh, that happens. Well, I want to submit to you, I've I've had this idea for a number of years and it's part one of the texts of scripture that give this concept to us is right there at the top of your notes in 2 Corinthians, we'll get to that in a minute. But as I was preparing for this uh, study here in this text, it began to dawn on me that this is another text that supports this idea, now listen, that Satan loves church. Yes, he loves church. He loves church religion okay and that's uh, right there at the top of your notes paul gives us a clue about that in second corinthians 11 uh, verses 14 and 15 on the top of your notes there it says and no wonder for even satan disguises himself personally if you will as an angel of light um we think the term angel is you know those little um, like Werner used to talk about the fat chairs or the wings or maybe, maybe you have this idea of whatever your concept is of angels. The word angel actually comes from the word angelos. It, it means a servant or an agent is probably the best way to say We have an insurance agent for this church. It's a person who represents State Farm for us, right, and, and speaks on their behalf and has authority to, to do certain make certain decisions uh, for us as the customer and State Farm as the provider, right? So an agent is a good term for it. So you could say that Satan disguises himself as an agent of light, that he disguises himself as a representative of light. Light here not being necessarily physical light like we think of, but of truth, okay? And particularly in the Gospel of John, uh, Jesus at the beginning of this chapter, chapter 8, says, I am the light of the world, right? When well, he's not standing there as a, we understand that, it's a metaphor for that he is the, the dispenser of truth. He's giving truth out, right? That light is a metaphor for truth. So you could say it this way, what Paul says here, no wonder even Satan himself, even Satan disguises himself as an agent of truth, that he is the one who is, is bringing you the truth that you need to know, right? I like to say, defining what truth is, truth is things as they really are, okay? We live in a time in which people argue about what's true right and and science likes to put itself forward as as the sort of uh, benchmark of truth in our culture some people put their trust there others put their trust in feelings that's a big deal you know I know I know what's true about how it makes me feel uh, perhaps um, both of those are very dangerous ground okay science can reveal some truth but it, there's a lot of truth that it doesn't tell us and certainly your feelings <laughs> which change regularly, even before and after your cup of coffee, are a very poor standard for truth, right? Okay. So there are things as, as they really are. And, and if you're going to, um, you know, when you're young, you kind of don't pay attention. But as you get older, you know, you, you start to learn, man, <laughs> there are some things that are really true. And boy, I wish I had known that when I was younger. Uh, it would have really saved me a lot of grief, right? So let's continue reading there, top of your notes, 2 Corinthians 11. So Satan himself disguised himself as an agent of truth. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. So Paul is giving us a clue there. And I think this is very important for us to bear in mind as we move forward in chapter 8, John, John 8. Um, because Jesus is effectively going to tell these religious leaders that he's talking to the same thing, okay? He's going to tell them that their religious system of the synagogues, you know, <clears throat> out in the, in the what they call the dysphoria, that is the Jews who are living out in the greater uh, Mediterranean area, they would have uh, synagogues, which is actually, by the way, um, you wonder where we get church from and how we do things? Look at the Jewish synagogue, uh, what we do today. Very closely follows a lot of those traditions. All right. So it goes back one way. So they had the system of synagogues and also, of course, the temple, right? At this time in which Jesus is speaking to them. And so the temple would be in Jerusalem, synagogues would be in other cities where you couldn't, you know, go every Sabbath to Jerusalem. It's too far away to go to temples, but you could go to your synagogue. And they had this whole, this whole system of, of, of special holidays and all of these things, a lot of which had been given to them in the law. But over time, they had developed this religion, okay? This whole system. Sometimes I call it a game in a sense. I don't mean to to demean it in in a disrespectful way, but it was very much like a game in the sense that, I don't know if you've ever played a game with, with a child that keeps changing the rules so they win. You know, it's very much like that, okay? Of course, they were more sophisticated than that. They, they were very smart, very smart people, very well-educated, very articulate people. But they did have this system that they had built up over the years that um, felt good to them. And they thought for sure God was on board with them. And they were they were doing God's work in this godless Gentile world, right? Here's little <coughs> Israel, the people of God, the descendants of Abraham, doing the right thing, and at God's time He's going to send Messiah, and He's going to bring us to the to the top where we where we belong, and God is going to verify and vindicate, verify our our religion and vindicate us with the Romans. That's what they thought. What Jesus is going to tell them here is precisely the opposite. You may think behind your Religion, God is giving his thumbs up. In fact, when we pull away the curtain, kind of like, uh, <clears throat> I mean, you've seen Wizard of Oz, right? Pay no attention to the man. <laughs> what? Behind the, curtain. behind the curtain. And Jesus is like, I think it's the dog, right? Isn't the dog over yeah, there? Yeah, the Discover the, the little professor that's behind there. Okay. Well, that's kind of a cute picture. The devil's not cute like that. Um, he's 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 an enemy of your soul. He absolutely is, and there's nothing good about him, um, except for one thing, and that is that he's God's devil. He's God's devil, and God he is subject to God's God the Father's direction. That's a good thing. But Jesus is going to tell them, and that's what that title is. In fact, when I pull the curtain back, and we see who's really pulling the levers and. And speaking through the megaphone, you know, it's not who you think it is. That's behind your system. All right. So um, just, uh, I just want to read through this these notes here with us. Where have we been in this gospel? Because we're right in the middle of this dialogue, all right? And and it's, it's a lot to try to bring together in one set of notes. So I had to kind of break things up. But the problem with breaking things up and taking time to, to look at each section is that you can lose the flow, right, of of where you've been. So that's what I'm trying to do here on our notes is just to kind of set the stage for us. So the conversation that Jesus is having with the Jews up to this point, okay? So if you want to follow along in your notes there, that'd be great, okay? The way we've been studying this passage makes it difficult to get the full flow of conversation and therefore can be easy to miss Jesus' main point. Up to now, the Jews have been arguing with him about who he is, where he is from, and what authority he has to speak the things he's been speaking. He's made bold, outrageous claims to be equal with God and in a close a close partnership with him. And I chose that word carefully because what Jesus has been saying all along, he's been calling God his father, right? And the, some of those Uh, references that you have there on your notes from earlier, particularly um, uh, the one there in um, right there at, at, uh, I think it's 543 right there, chapter 5 verse 43, where it says that, or no, actually, I'm sorry, it's 518, 518, where it says that Jesus called himself, the Jews therefore sought all the more to kill him because he made, he called God his father, uh, making himself equal with God, right? So they got that. So when Jesus is going around calling God his father, that was ooh boy, that was that was really, really um, shocking and, and outrageous, outrageous to them. And not only did he call God his father in the sense of equality of nature, which is what he's effectively saying by that, uh, you know, but but really he kept referring to the Father as the one who sent him and commissioned him from heaven to come and to on a mission, right? He he just like we talked about Satan a minute ago as the agent of, of truth, Jesus is the agent of the Father. He's the capital A agent of the Father. That's what Messiah really has in mind as the anointed one. He is he is the one who claimed to be on a mission from God the Father. And that the words I'm speaking to you, the, the miracles that I'm doing, uh, the places I'm going, the schedule I have, all of that is from the Father. Okay? And he keeps referring to that over and over again. And so they really have a problem with that. And they are they have been asking him back in chapter 5 it was a problem. And here again in chapter 8, which is, by the way, several years later. It's real, real quick in our text. I mean, it's like just couple pages over but in a timeline it's like you know maybe maybe a, a year year and a half two years later Jesus is at this point is is six months away from being crucified when he's saying this to them okay so this has been an ongoing sticking point the whole time he's had this public ministry is this thing about not just being equal with God, but that's bad enough. But then also to say He is here speaking the words of God, which are so offensive to them, and and He's He's especially in this text and more and more is going to be judging their system, which they were convinced was from God. You see? and so how do we reconcile this? But He does. But then it's kind of like, on the one hand, He says these things which are so contradictory to what we believe, and yet He comes and He heals people, right? which only God can do, right? We're going to see that in chapter 9. The man born blind says, from the beginning of time, we've never seen anybody can do this. Clearly, he's from God, right? And they knew that. So they really had a hard time reconciling this. All right. So he's made bold, outrageous claims to be equal with God and a close partnership with him. Notice that word partnership. John the Baptist called Jesus the witness from heaven while he himself was the witness from earth. That's the second half of chapter 3. The miracles Jesus did, called signs in John, also pointed to him as the anointed one the Messiah. So why did the Jews have such a hard time with him? Because he was not the Messiah they were expecting. Okay, he was not the Messiah. Which begs the question, well, what Messiah were they expecting? If they missed this one, and they didn't, he wasn't, he didn't allow, where did they get this idea? <clears throat> and I want to submit to you, <clears throat> I used to kind of think, well, it was, it was all the Old Testament prophecies. And I think a big part of it was, and there's a lot of Old Testament prophecies that talk about, you know, the restoration of what we today call the millennial kingdom, right? That, 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 that there's going to be a reversal of the curse and Messiah is going to come and he's going to sit on, he's the greater son of David, he's going to sit on the throne. He's the root and the offspring of David. He's gonna, he's gonna come and he's gonna make the lion lay down with the lamb. Remember this, and and he's gonna, he's gonna help us beat our swords into plowshares and our spears into pruning hooks. And they won't train for war. And can you imagine that? Can you imagine a world where there are there's no more need for armies? We have all these flags up here. All these nations have some kind of security force, right? To varying degrees, they have something to defend themselves if not to be an offensive, you know, we don't really have so much offensive war going on right now, but there's some that. But they were looking forward to that. They were looking forward to each man sitting under his own vine, which is, which is a Hebraic poetic way of saying, um, you know, I get to build my house and plant my garden and enjoy the fruits of my labor without having to worry about some invading army or maybe some roving band of, Effectively a gang, what we would call a gang today, coming and taking it, right? Imagine living in a a small village like that and, you know, the police and the army can't get there in time to protect you from some little, you know, band of men that just get together and decide, hey, we're just, you know, we don't care. We're just going to take your food. (laughs) So they were looking forward to the time, the golden age of Messiah to come. Where'd they get that idea from? Well, a lot of it came from Old Testament passages, tons and tons of them. But I want to submit to you also that behind the scenes is Satan putting just enough in there to help distract them away so that when Messiah really did come, they didn't recognize him. Okay? And I think that's what Jesus is putting his finger on here in the text. Let's continue reading. He was not the Messiah they were expecting. They were ready for the Messiah to judge the Romans and other Gentile nations, to elevate them to the place of exaltation in the kingdom of God. Jesus, however, spoke words pointed at the judgment of sin at the individual and national levels. They were expecting him to judge the Romans, but he came and spoke words of judgment to them, right? And effectively, John the Baptist did the same thing, too. When he says to, to Jews now, you need to come and be baptized. That was something reserved for Gentiles who were converting to Judaism. That was never something a Jew would do. right? But John's like, no, no, you guys need to repent. You need to repent. Jesus had the same message. And then later on as his ministry evolved, we talked about this in Sunday school this morning. As, as his ministry progresses and it becomes clear the nation is saying no to him, he begins to speak words of, of judgment against the whole system. The whole thing is coming down. The temple will be torn down, and the whole nation will be judged. So they were not expecting that. They thought he was here to judge the Gentiles. Jesus, however, spoke words pointed at the judgment of sin at, at, the, ju- at the judgment of sin at the individual and national levels. He cleansed the temple twice. Which demonstrated a preview of judgment against their religious system, which they were convinced was from God and approved by him. remember that? The temple cleansings. John's the only one that tells us that what mm-hmm. happened at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, and the other gospels tell us that he did it again at the very end, near the very end. And it's almost like those sort of bookmark his whole ministry there. And he's effectively saying. You have turned my father's house, it's supposed to be a house of prayer, what, for all nations. Look around, right? God has had a heart for the nations from the beginning, not just Israel, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. Uh, One of the interesting things I've uncovered in my studies about that is um, what Jesus was actually rebuking was they had turned that temple into what we would call today an outdoor mall. Yeah, it was all about the money. Right? And they were making money hand over fist uh, and, and and had turned it in. In fact, this is honest truth. One of the historians called the temple the Bazaars of Annas. Okay? That's what they called it because it was a bazaar is an outdoor mall. And and Annas was in and out officially as high priest, but he ran the whole thing behind the scenes. He was the puppet master, like the godfather running this whole this whole system. And that's what it had come to. And Jesus came there at the beginning and at the end to cleanse the temple and to rebuke that and to say, this is wrong and God is angry with this. <laughs> okay, all right. So he cleansed the temple twice and demonstrated a preview of judgment against their religious system, which they were convinced was from God and approved by him. When we get to chapter 12, John will deal with this harsh truth that the Jewish people missed their own Messiah. When compared with the other Gospels, we will see a marked change in Jesus' public message from one of offering eternal life to one of warning of the coming judgment of the nation for its rejection of him. Okay? Uh, We talked about that in Sunday School a little bit. We'll talk about that more when we get as Rick says uh, five years from now, chapter 12. (laughs) Okay. Um, There there is a marked change. It's really interesting. All the Gospels pick up on that too. If if you're just reading the Gospel and you're not aware of that, you'll read right by it and not even realize that the direction of the general thrust of Jesus' message shifts just prior to the cross. It's very interesting. Previously in chapter 8, Jesus has been turning up the heat as the light of the world and revealing the true origins of himself and of the Jews. He established his credibility as a witness along with the Father. That's verses 14 through 18. Then he warned them about that their origin was from the world, but he was from heaven. And finally, he laid down three facts. This is what we looked at last time. You may remember three facts that are true in general, applying them to the Jews' bondage to sin and legalism. He makes these three statements, boom, 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 right? He says, these are true. Everybody knows these are true. Now, let's apply it to you, okay? Effectively saying to them, you are those who practice. So the three of them are, those who practice sin are its slaves, You are slaves to the one you obey, period, okay? Second true statement he makes is a slave owes the house, but a son owns the house, right? The relationship of the slave and the son to the house are very, very different. And then in light of that comes number three, which is the son. This is, again, true just at a human level, but Jesus is now applying this to himself at a spiritual level. When we come to the Father, the son has the authority to change the relationship of a slave to the house by freeing him from the debt. When you come to the Father, when you come to God, there is a debt that you owe, like it or not. And what Jesus is saying is that debt of sin has to be paid. You will pay it, or the Son will pay it. But if the Son will set you free, you will be free indeed. And it's not for real. I mean, it's not fake. It's for real. It's not like oh, just kidding. Now I'm going to send you to hell too or whatever. Okay? No, there's there's a for, there's a for real. Authority there that the son has, and he applies that to them, and they're shocked by that. Remember, in fact, Jesus says that in response to their question or their statement before. We are, we've never been abolished to anyone. You know, we're children of Abraham, right? that, that, which is kind of weird to us, but it's their way of saying effectively, um, we are part of the right system that's right with God. It wasn't they weren't saying they weren't saying, well we don't believe Rome is is occupying it. I mean, they could literally look there and see Fort Antonia sitting right there, the big Roman presence in Jerusalem, okay? They're not saying we've never been in bondage to any other foreign power. What they're saying is we've never been on the wrong track with God like all the other pagan nations. And he's saying, no, 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 actually you're a slave of sin and you don't realize it. Harsh truth from a gracious master, a gracious messiah. In the text in front of us, he will continue to turn up the light and the heat as he walks them through the evidence that their descendancy from Abraham and their faithfulness to their system of works-based religion are not leading them to the place they think they are going. He will pull back the curtain and disclose that the one really running the show is, in fact, the devil, the ancient enemy of God. What a shock to hear this awful truth, but gracious, because this side of the grave is the time to hear it. Amen. As he said to them in verse 24, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Okay? Okay. Jesus, and that's why I put that, that little title there is I want to remind us that as we read this text, these are hard words from Jesus. These are hard words. They're hard for us to hear, and we're like separated 2,000 years, and we're separated culturally. That's why I go through all the culture to try to help us understand the frame of mind that they were in when they heard this, okay? And it's offensive to us. Imagine them staying there, and you've given your whole life you've been raised in this system and you've given your whole life to it, I mean this is your bread and butter. This is what and you have trained other people and brought them into this system too right because you're convinced that this is a God and you hear from him that no in fact you are following the devil and you are on your way. To hell. Which they had actually remember a few verses earlier, they had accused him of doing. Well, he must be he must be going to kill himself because he's going where we can't come, right? Remember that? Which what was that? That's that's a veiled way of saying because they believed when you committed suicide, that was it. That was your one-way ticket to hell, and and no, you know, do not pass go, to not collect two hundred dollars. You go immediately. That. Okay, that was their theology, and they they thought when Jesus said, uh, "Where I'm going, you cannot come." David's going to commit suicide because clearly we're going where? We're going to heaven. We're going, we're gods. We're going, we're going to the kingdom of God. This is the way the kingdom of heaven is the way that, that Matthew puts it, right? The kingdom of God. That's where we're going. Clearly, this man is going somewhere else. Jesus is like, no, actually, it's the other way around. I'm going to return back to my father in heaven. And you, if you don't believe me, are going to die in your sins, and you are the ones going, following your father, the devil, to hell. Hard. But that's why I put that there, I'm a gracious Messiah. Because the time to hear that truth, if it is true, is before you die, isn't it? Because after you die, it's too late. The time to hear it is now. The time to respond is now. The time to consider is now. All right, so let's read our text Let's see how we're doing with time here. Oh great, we got another, we got an hour, or so that's good. Don't cut the short. Let's uh, read the t- we'll read the text just to kind of give us a flavor and we'll pick it up more next time, okay? Chapter 8, verses 37. And and, and Jesus, as we pick this up. Uh, let me just back up a little bit because it's, it, it's right literally right in the middle of what he's saying, right? So let's go back to verse 35. We'll start there and we'll go to, to verse 47, okay? Verse, um, verse 34, rather, 34. <clears throat> Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. This is basically a valid way of saying, yeah, you're, you're kind of serving God now, but you're not serving him as sons. You're serving him as, a, as slaves. You're still slaves of, of sin. You've got to get this dealt with. If you want to remain in the kingdom of God forever, you've got to change that relationship that you have with him. That debt's got to be paid. That's what he's saying, okay? So if the son sets you free, verse 36, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, Yet you seek to kill me, because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from where from God this is why this is not what Abraham did you are doing the works your father did they said to him we are not born of spiritual immorality we have one father even God Jesus said to them if God were your father you would love me for i came from god And I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is you are not of God. Any questions? (laughs) That's pretty hard, isn't it? I mean, it's it's very pointed. He's no longer, I mean, up to this point, he hasn't come right out and said it. If you've noticed the verses before that, he says, well, I'm coming from my father, but you're following your father. He doesn't say who that is yet. But now he identifies it directly. Now, let me be clear. You are your father, devil. This system that you're trusting in to get right with God you know, everything's cool. They, they they were, as far as they were concerned, they were at peace. I it's fine. But Jesus is there to say, hmm. So it's a, it's a little bit like, you know, you go to the doctor for your routine physical. You feel great? That's fine. Just just another, just another one of the chores you have to do today, right? You know what I'm talking about? And just uh, stop by the store on the way after, done here. And you go there, and the doctor says, uh, you have, um, stage four cancer. What? <laughs> kind of interrupts things, doesn't it? Right? That was very, very much of a shock. It was very much of a shock to them. And in closing, um, I want to say this too. Let's, let me just, um, let's, there's, we'll skip ahead just a little bit, but I, I can't resist doing this. Keep your finger there and turn with me to, to Matthew 7 real quick as we'll, we'll close with this idea. Matthew 7, beginning verse 13, says this. Jesus is finishing up the Sermon on the Mount, right? Very famous message that he gave. Seven, Matthew 7, 13. Enter by the narrow gate. but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons even in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This still applies to us. Satan is... He's up to his old tricks, same thing. Uh, Sabrina and I were having and Dory we were having a conversation yesterday about how much uh, sad that 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 even in the um, Christian church there's a there's a long history of um, churches and ministries and other things that start well maybe but they decline over time, right? And and, and, and then you get this of It's almost like we have so many denominations because the other ones never stayed the course, right? They didn't stay on track, and on target. It is, that's not just unique to the church. Organizations do that. Governments do that too. They, they all, all of them, tend to slide and toward decline, toward uh, losing focus of what of what the real basics of the of their mission is. Right? the Ephesian church in in Revelation is like that, where Jesus says you've forgotten your first love. So Satan is up to his same tricks, and the warning that Jesus is giving us here in the Sermon on the Mount is we, like these Jews, can think that we're following God, but when the curtain is pulled back, it may not be who you think that you're following, right? So the warning for us is to be very careful as church and as individuals to be sure that we are following the true Messiah, right? And we are listening to his words, that we're obeying him, that we're building on his foundation. Jesus is going to say right after what we just read, the wise man, the foolish man. We have a little song about that, right? The foolish man is the one who hears these words, but what? Doesn't do it. The wise man is the one who hears my words and does it, obeys. Okay, That's hard to dig into a rock. It's a whole lot easier to build a foundation on sand. You get it up, you get it done faster. But when the storm comes... Um, it's not how well you built the house but it's the foundation that you laid that's going to matter Father it is Father's Day and we thank you that we can, can call you that but as I said in the opening prayer I would say again to a reminder to we close that, that there is an imposter out there uh, who who wants to pretend to be our spiritual daddy he wants to pretend to give us Uh, the truth about the way things are, things really are. Uh, And he is so good at lying to us and making us think things are okay and we just coast through life and we aren't really really bothered about death and where we're going to go. But then suddenly when death comes and we stand before you in judgment, the real foundation, the place where we built our lives is going to be exposed. And if it's not If we haven't been obeying your word uh, and building in obedience, the very first thing that that you call us to do, Paul says in in, uh, Acts 17, that God commands all people everywhere to repent. It It is the first and foremost commandment that every person in this room is called to obey, is to repent of our sin, to acknowledge the fact that we have this debt before you, that we have been slaves of sin, and we are sick and tired of listening to master sin. And that we want to put an end to that and we can't get out on our own and we need your help. And we take um, and we take your offer of peace through Jesus Christ at face value without prejudice and we lay down and say, I've had enough and I beg you for mercy. We need to do that. And I pray today is the day as your word exposes who might really be behind the curtain of our lives. Um, and help us as a church, Lord. We got VBS coming up this week, and so many of these precious uh, kids, whom you love, uh, are, are here, and their parents as well. And help us to be about your business. Be careful, Satan. Satan loves to come in and get us distracted with all kinds of things. But help us to put the focus where it belongs, to 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 give a clear, unmitigated gospel message this week as we talk about you sending your son so that we may not perish but have eternal life. Help us to get that message out, not to be clouded, not to be distracted, but to get it through for your glory. And pray you would do the work in many hearts even today and this week as you see fit. In Jesus' name.